charter schools are calling for a fairer education funding system. And a new documentary by two Pennsylvania natives takes you to a famed World War II battlefield that's pretty hard to access. Welcome to The Morning Agenda, WITF's daily news podcast, where the only agenda is you. A good morning to you. It is Wednesday, January 24th, and this is being recorded at 9.23 a.m. I'm your host, Tim Lambert, as we take this daily trip around the region's top stories. Charter school advocates are calling for reform of a funding system they say is unfair to them. My colleague Ben Wasserstein reports others say charter schools are taking money away from traditional public schools. Charter schools get their funding from public schools based on a per-student basis. That funding is based on where the student lives. This means a charter school receives less money for a student from a poor school district. Anne Clark is director of the Pennsylvania Coalition of Public Charter Schools. She says charter schools need more money to be allocated fairly. I just want to see fair funding across Pennsylvania. Um, I believe that a parent pays taxes and that their child should get the same amount of funding as a traditional public school. Now, opponents argue more funding for charter schools takes away from public schools, which they find especially troublesome at a time when the Commonwealth Court has ruled the state system of funding is unfair to poorer districts. Earlier this month, the Basic Education Funding Commission advanced a plan to revamp Pennsylvania's education system by $5.4 billion. The Commonwealth is giving nearly $40 million to companies to replace heavy-duty diesel trucks with electric versions. My colleague Rachel McDevitt has the details. The money comes from Pennsylvania's share of the Volkswagen Emissions Scandal Settlement Fund. This most recent round of funding is going to 16 entities across the state to buy electric garbage trucks, freight trucks, and delivery vehicles, as well as hydrogen fuel cell vehicles and charging stations. These are the highest dollar amounts in any round of grants in the Driving PA Forward initiative. The Shapiro administration says that marks a step forward in the state's effort to lower transportation emissions. So $2 million is going to Dauphin County beverage dealer Wilsbach Distributors for five electric delivery vehicles and two fast chargers. PTT Trucking in Beaver County in western Pennsylvania is getting $3 million to buy 10 electric short-haul tractors and two hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicles along with chargers. The Pennsylvania State Police is working to recover access to online records of how the agency handled evidence. It's also blaming the loss of the records on a mistake during routine server maintenance. The same mistake also affected the state employee retirement system, which said online users temporarily lost access to a member services system this month. State leaders, however, are downplaying the effect on the agencies. Governor Josh Shapiro's Office of Administration blamed human error by a state employee who was performing routine server maintenance on January 3rd. It says it's reviewing and updating internal information technology processes to prevent it from happening again. So I want to go over a few stories with you right now that I found after looking through about a dozen news sites across central Pennsylvania. A judge has removed an elected Cumberland County constable from office. Penn Live reports the judge took action after a hearing on Troy Beam's efforts to inspect voting machines at four different polling places during the November election. Now, according to prosecutors, he used his position to attempt to check individual voting machines in Southampton and Hopewell Townships after hearing reports about votes being incorrectly recorded in other locations. Now, that did happen in another county, Northampton, but all votes were 
accurately cast by the system. Beam ultimately ended his effort after the county's director of elections told him he had no authority to proceed. A York County School Board is expected to discuss bringing prayer into routine proceedings. The York Dispatch reports the agenda for tonight's Southwestern School Board meeting includes the issue while hitting a pause on several anti-LGBTQ plus policies. The move could raise questions over the separation of church and state. This is the latest step taken by the board after last year's election led to a shift in the ideological leanings of members. And now for an update on a story we told you about last week. A Berks County family will be able to keep its emotional support chickens on the property, except for the rooster. The Reading Eagle reports Amity Township supervisors have voted to grant a variance from rules requiring a minimum property size for poultry farming. The Holden family has a chicken coop in its backyard, and Megan Holden says the birds have helped her brother, Tommy Spillane, who has special needs and is deaf. Spillane takes care of the nine chickens and one rooster. The birds have been certified as emotional support animals by a doctor and a therapist. Now, among the conditions approved by the board are the variance is specific only to the hold-in situation, the rooster must be removed, and the number of chickens must be reduced naturally over time to five. So now on the morning agenda, we're going to take a deeper dive into a story about a new documentary that's been produced by two Pennsylvania natives, which takes viewers on a tour through a pivotal and hard-to-access World War II battleground. Now, you may know I'm a huge World War II nut, so I can't wait to hear this story by Sydney Roach, who's with our friends at WPSU and State College. And she reports the documentary makers say it gives veterans families and those interested in history a chance to reflect on a place they likely couldn't visit otherwise. Iwo Jima is a volcanic island around 700 miles south of Tokyo. It's the site of the famous flag-raising photo on top of Mount Suribachi. The Marine Memorial near Arlington National Cemetery was modeled on that image. Jared Frederick teaches history at Penn State Altoona. He's also the host of the new documentary, I Hiked Iwo Jima, a virtual World War II battlefield tour. The Battle of Iwo Jima was one of the deadliest battles for the United States military in the Second World War. It's a hallmark moment for the Marine Corps. They lost about 6,000 men killed three times that, wounded and maimed. The Japanese lost their entire garrison of 20,000 men. The National World War II Museum says the capture of Iwo Jima paved the way for the last and biggest battle in the Pacific, the invasion of Okinawa. Frederick's documentary is a mix of his reactions while he was filming in Iwo Jima, conversations with other hikers, and his reflections added in post-production. At one point, he walks over the famous Black Ash Beach made of volcanic ash. All right, so I'm working my way up the sands here, and it is quite difficult to climb. As one Marine said, which I think is quite accurate, it's like trying to climb up wet coffee grounds. At other points, Frederick stops to take in the atmosphere. It's so surreal being here, walking atop this mass tomb. Frederick says when he was walking through the island, he could see battleground scars that remain to this day, including shrapnel and crash planes. Everywhere you turned, there were scars of battle. There was evidence of battle. We were kicking up pieces of shrapnel in the road as we were hiking along. It very much gives the impression of a crime scene, almost. And it's a a very 
arid, desolate sort of environment. Frederick was originally slated to go to Iwo Jima in March 2020, but the pandemic pushed his trip to late March of 2023. He finally finished and uploaded his documentary to YouTube in December 2023. Frederick says Iwo Jima is one of the hardest-to-reach battlefields. For many of the relatives of Iwo Jima veterans, I realize you may never be able to visit in person. The Japanese government, which owns the land, only allows American visitors once per year. He says the process to get on that list can be complicated. He also notes the island has an active volcano with a one-in-three chance of erupting during this century, which could take away all remnants of the battlefield. Walking through the black ash beaches and steep slopes, Frederick says it was hard not to feel empathy for the Japanese military who fought there. You can certainly cast doubt and give moral judgment upon their cause to conquer much of Asia and the Pacific. But when you go and walk the ground, you can at the very least recognize their humanity, which I think is a very important thing. They were short on food. They were short on ammunition, medicine, everything imaginable. These guys died a horrible death. Frederick talked with others on the tour who echoed similar sentiments. We are honored to be able to come here. It's great. Yeah. Certainly gives us a sense of empathy. Right. We're just hot and sweaty from walking. That's yeah. battle. <laughs> I, I can't even begin to fathom. Yeah. Frederick says most of the other people on the tour were either relatives of the Americans who fought at Iwo Jima or U.S. Marine Corps veterans. He says there aren't many Japanese survivors from the battle. There was an expectation that they should have died before dishonoring themselves rather than living. Japanese veterans are not celebrated in the same way that American veterans are celebrated. Part of Frederick's interest in history in Iwo Jima is his own family's connection. His grandfather served in the U.S. Navy. He watched the battle from aboard a ship since he was recovering from appendicitis. He was healing up as he saw his buddies go ashore, and some of them didn't come back. And that was something that I think tore away at my grandfather for his remaining decades, uh, the fact that he didn't go ashore and he wasn't there for his buddies perhaps when they needed him most. During the hike, Frederick carries his grandfather's dog tags and a letter he wrote to his wife from the ship. Frederick reads it after reaching the top of Mount Suribachi. My best buddy was killed, Don Bowman. I was on the deck when the beach party was loading, and Don said to me, Here, Dave, I don't think I'm coming back. The letter goes on to say Bowman gave his billfold, penknife, and locker keys to Frederick's grandfather. Bowman never did come back. Frederick's grandfather gave those items to his division officer and held a mass for him at home. Frederick was eight years old when his grandfather died. I never had the chance to talk to him about any of this. But during my day on Iwo Jima, I never felt closer to him. Frederick worked on the documentary with fellow Altoona native Andrew Collins. Collins, who produced the documentary, wasn't able to go to Iwo Jima and says he probably won't ever be able to. So many people want to visit Mount Suribachi and just kind of get a taste of what the battleground is like. Now it's out there. Somebody can click on YouTube and get a small taste of what it's like. Collins doesn't have family members who served in Iwo Jima, but he himself was in the U.S. Army Reserve for 12 years. He served a tour of duty in Iraq, which he says helped him empathize with those who fought in Iwo Jima. His experience also makes him wonder how he'll be remembered in the future. You know, I wonder if someday, 100 years from now, somebody will be 
walking through the desert in Iraq from the Tigris to the Euphrates, trying to document <laughs> all of that battlefield and having specific stories and maybe some really old guy with them, you know, pointing stuff out. I Hiked Iwo Jima, a virtual World War II battlefield tour, is free and available on YouTube. The channel's name is Real History, spelled R-E-E-L, and normally looks to debunk popular historical myths and movies. In Altoona, I'm Sydney Roach. Here's our daily reminder that The Morning Agenda is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, on WITF's YouTube channel, and on the NPR One app. And be sure to check out our monthly Spotify playlist. This month's is called The Morning Agenda Song of the Day, January 2024, and it features my song of the day today from the new basement tapes. It's Kansas City. And that is going to do it for The Morning Agenda. It's a daily news podcast from WITF where the only agenda is you. I'm your host, Tim Lambert. Thank you so much for listening today. Your company is always appreciated. So be well, enjoy the rest of the day, and we'll talk again tomorrow.